so much, David. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. We're in our last uh, week with Samson. You might be breathing a sigh of relief, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's been a great, a great series, hasn't it? Um, for those who don't know, I'm Kay. I'm part, uh, one of the leaders here at CBC. And as, uh, as Lawrence said, it's my privilege to bring God's word to us this morning as we wrap up um, our sermon series in Judges uh, 14 to or 13 to 16. Well, I wonder if you've ever um, been introduced uh, to somebody that you've heard about, you've, um, you've uh, been dying to meet them, and at last you get the chance to meet this person. And then as you get acquainted with this person, you discover they're a bit unpleasant. They've got a bit of an unpleasant side. In fact, you're quite shocked by the choices that they make and the lifestyle that they lead. They don't quite fit with this image that you've had. Well, I wonder if that's how you're feeling about Samson after our five weeks uh, delving into his life. Uh, We've discovered a rather difficult side, haven't we, to him. Uh, The Sunday school version isn't necessarily the whole story. He's not the nicest guy, is he? Not the nicest chap. He's angry and he's impulsive and he's proud. Uh, There's not much really about Samson that draws us to him. And yet, as we've studied God's word week by week, I wonder if you've been a bit like me and you found that there's this mirror that's been in front of you. And you've seen that you've got no right, I've got no right to point the finger at, at Samson. So often straying into choices that aren't God's best for me, in my attitudes, in my conversations, in my thoughts. I wonder if you've started to see a bit of yourself in Samson. And yet we've been reminded, haven't we, again and again, how, con- how God continued to give Samson and, and us, of course, another chance. Continues over and over to be faithful to his promises those promises, do you remember um, Christine called them Mr. and Mrs. Manoa? Uh, they were told, weren't they, that Samson was called for a purpose and that God wouldn't give up on him. And we discover it over and over again, haven't we, every week. We've been reminded of the promise of, promise of God to use broken, sinful, frail, failed human beings like you and me. And he doesn't give up on us. Isn't it a wonderful message that we've heard? And last Sunday, if you were here, it concluded with that desperate picture of Samson seemingly defeated once and for all. His hair had been cut, his eyes had been gouged out, and he's in prison. In fact, it's worse than prison. He's with the animals, treated like an animal, grinding the grain. That's what the animals would have done um, for the Philistines. And yet, there was that glimmer of hope. Do you remember? But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Samson's hair, of course, in and of itself, didn't give Samson his strength. It was a sign. It was a sign that he'd been set apart as a Nazarite. A Nazarite was someone who was consecrated to God for their whole lives. That was the sign of his strength. The Philistines thought they had the answer, didn't they? We discovered last week when they, um, Simon, um, Samson tells Delilah the secret of his strength. And so the Philistines shave his head. And we, hear, we read that sad word that in that moment God abandons him as well. Well, in that moment of abandonment, as his humiliation begins, the Philistines not only remove his hair, but they remove his eyes as well. Those eyes that had led him into lust and anger and away from his God, the God that had called him to obedience. But perhaps that barbaric, and it really was barbaric, gouging out of his eyes, it wasn't under anaesthetic, that being treated like an animal, maybe in that moment was when he realised the seriousness of his sin and the consequences of it. 
Perhaps it was in that moment that he began to return to God, the God of his childhood, the God of his parents, the God of his people, because the Bible says his hair began to grow back, his faith began to be rekindled. Well, Lawrence reminded us last week that God never gives up on those he loves. God never gives up on his plan that he has to rescue his people. And God is faithful. So we're going to begin, the st- or continue the story, the last bit of the story in Judges 16. I'm going to read just a couple of verses now, um, verses 23 to 25 in Judges 16, if you want to turn to it with me. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. It seems, doesn't it, that that Samson has been completely defeated. The Israelite deliverer has failed to rescue God's people, and the Philistines have won. So they celebrate. They offer sacrifices to their god, Dagon, in a massive party, lots of drinking, um, because he, they say, has handed Samson into their hands. These people, the Philistines, are people who've turned their backs on the living God. They're worshipping idols. They're blatantly disregarding the living God that Samson and the Israelites believe in. And their humiliation of Samson is not only a rejection of Samson, but it's a rejection of the living God. You can almost hear them chanting and jeering at him, can't you? Where's your God now? Where's your God now? I wonder if that's a question that you've ever been asked. Perhaps when you've been having a difficult time, your friends and family have said, well, where's your God now? Or maybe it's a question you wrestle with in your own life from time to time when things are tough. Where's God gone? I wonder as we watch and listen to um, the news that's coming out of Ukraine, as we think and pray for them, we can wonder, can't we, where is God now? As we hear another case of child abuse maybe or suicide or murder, we can be tempted to ask, where's God in our world? Perhaps as we stand at the grave of a loved one, receive the results of a scan or email threatening redundancy, we can ask, Where, where's God now? Or maybe, like Samson, we live in the reality of our failure and our sin and our weakness, our willingness to go our own way and the consequences we now live with, and we can say, where is God now? Well, as we look at the story of Samson, we look at this sorry state that he's in, we wonder where God is. I think we need to go back and we need to remind ourselves of the beginning of the story four or five weeks ago now. Because God promised a deliverer to the people of Israel. Samson will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines, we were told. We were told, weren't we, that Samson was set apart to serve God, to bring about God's purposes, to deliver them from their enemies. And the truth is that not even Samson's sin, not even his disobedience, is going to prevent God from keeping his promise to deliver his people. Nothing can stop God pursuing and delivering on his promise. So for us, as we look at Samson's life, we know that God is not absent when we wonder where he is. God isn't disinterested in us. He hasn't given up on us. 
He has a promise and he will deliver because God has promised us a deliverer and we'll look at that more in a moment. So let's read on and discover that we find God in unlikely places. So I'm going to read from verse 25. When they stood among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on, the, on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He'd led Israel 20 years. God in an unlikely pace. Well, let's have a look at Samson. He's far from strong now, isn't he? His sin has consequences and he can't avoid them. He must have looked quite a forlorn figure, don't you think? As they taunted and goaded him for entertainment. The Philistines, who used to fear this man, they don't fear him anymore. They're just full of hatred towards him. And tired from the taunting, he has to ask a servant, this man who'd been so independent, to guide him, to lean him against the pillars in the temple. All his strength gone, all his bravado and his pride has been extinguished, all his sense of entitlement, all his anger has got nowhere to go now. He's broken and he's weak and he's helpless and he's alone. Quite a different Samson from the one we've been looking at. But the truth is, God is still there. And again, I just want to rewind the story because I think it's helpful. Have in your mind this weak, blind, broken man before you now. And then think back to the Samson that we knew. I think he must have been quite a handsome man. He was literate, wasn't he, and clever. He was manipulative. Manipulated his parents, didn't he, and other people. But he was supernaturally, physically, incredibly strong, wasn't he? We heard about him killing a lion with his bare hands, caught 300 foxes and used them to destroy the Philistines' crops. How on earth he did that, we don't know, do we? But killed a 1,000 men with a donkey jawbone. I mean, he had incredible strength, this man, didn't he? He had quite some life. And, you know, when we think about the Sunday school stories that we've heard about Samson, we can focus on that supernatural strength, this incredibly strong man, can't we? And I think we can lose sight sometimes of where he found that strength. As we said about his birth, his mother was told that he was to be a a Nazarite. A Nazarite vow was to remain forever, signified by that hair not being cut. So his hair must have been... Um, a uh, sort of signature feature, mustn't it, of of Samson. You know, they wouldn't have all had this incredible thick, long hair. He carried around with him on his body this constant reminder of the promise his parents had made of him being set aside for God. But sadly, somehow, even with that reminder, Samson lost sight of who he was, didn't he? He started out so strong, 
all the qualities of a leader. He, was able to, he could have delivered Israel, but he lost sight of who he was. His pride and his arrogance, his anger and his eyes, they all led him astray, didn't they? But now we see Samson here, everything stripped away. And there he rediscovers God. There the stirring of the spirit that we heard about comes back into focus again in his life. Isn't that so true of our lives? So often it's by God's grace when we hit a crisis, when we hit rock bottom, when things are really tough, when we come to the end, if you like, of our own limited resources, it's there, isn't it, in our weakness, that we meet God again, that we're ready to meet him again. And there we find him with his arms open wide, ready to restore us, ready to remind us again of who we are in him. I wonder if that's you this morning. I wonder if, like Samson, you're so aware of your sin, of your weakness, of the struggles that you're facing, so in need of God's grace. What a wonderful, a wonderful reminder that God's ready and waiting to meet you, longing to receive you, longing to restore you, longing to forgive. And we find out in verses 28 to 31 that God meets us in our weaknesses. Did you notice in his prayer that Samson at last acknowledges where his strength is from? At last, after all these years. And he asks God humbly to restore him once again, just to give him that strength one last time. One last time that God would remember him and fulfill his purposes. The ones that Samson had been called for so long ago. In the closing of these very sad, this very sad and sorry story that we've been looking at, God fulfills his purposes in Samson's life. And when, is it, when does it happen? Well, in that moment of complete and utter weakness. That's when God steps in and does his work. Now, I wrestled with this question. Is Samson weak in that moment? Is he weak? Or is he strong? Well, yes, he is. He's physically weak, isn't he? He's worn out. He's worn out from grinding the grain, living with sight loss. He was probably beaten and bruised on a daily basis. He was humiliated in front of thousands of people. He probably was naked at the time. Yes, he was physically weak. But for the first time, we find out that he throws himself on God in that moment. He's relinquished any um, claim for a success that he had, and he's thrown himself on the mercy of God. And this time, not to save himself, but to save his people and to honor his God's name. So yes, he is weak. He is weak. But he owns that weakness now. He acknowledges that weakness. He confesses that weakness. He confesses his need of God. And in that moment, he becomes a recipient of God's grace, of God's strength. So maybe he's strong in that moment. But it's in God's strength now, not in his own. 1 Corinthians uh, 1.27 in the New Testament says this, God chose the weak things of this world, to shame the strong. The Philistines thought they were strong. They were delighting in their strength. The fact that they defeated at last this enemy that they hated so much. They were enemies of God, enemies of his people. They showed complete contempt for God. They thought they were strong. They were delighting in their victory. 
and they were looking at this weak, feeble man before them. But God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Samson, in his weakness, in his death, stretched out his arms one last time, and with God's strength, he collapsed that Dagon temple with its thousands of Philistine leaders and officials in one go. When Samson finds himself weak, as in broken, weak as in desperate, weak as in helpless and hopeless, he cries out to God and God delivers him and his people. I wonder what we do when we're feeling weak. Do we recognise our weakness? Do we own it? Do we bring it to God and receive his strength? Well, Samson is understood to be a type of Christ. There are figures in the Old Testament that point us to Christ. And there are lots of ways that Samson's life points us towards Christ, pointing us towards the perfect deliverer who would rescue the world from sin. And as Samson put out his arms, stretched out his arms, so we see a picture of Jesus stretching out his arms, hung on a cross, humiliated, weak and helpless in that moment. Foolishness would think, um, it would be foolish, wouldn't it, really, to think that a dying man was anything other than weak. But Jesus, unlike Samson, had done nothing wrong. Jesus was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. He was sacrificed for the sin of the whole world. In that moment of apparent weakness in Jesus, God defeated the power of death and broke the chains of our sin in that weakness. Paul says that the cross seems foolishness to those who don't believe, but wisdom and power of God to those who do believe. And that's our hope, isn't it? And this is what we need to hear as, as we draw this series to a close, that Jesus has taken our sin, our guilt and our shame, and he's nailed it to the cross. And as Jesus rose from the dead, we're invited to live in the freedom and the forgiveness that he offers us. So today we can lay down those things that kid us that we're strong. And we've all got them, haven't we? Today we can um, confess our utter weakness, our utter dependency upon God and his love for us. I wonder, are there things that you feel challenged, that I feel challenged that we need to lay down today before God? can't finish this series of Samson without noting that Samson gets a mention in the great heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. You know that passage in Hebrews 11 where the writer talks about all the heroes of faith in the Old Testament. I was a bit shocked, aren't you? <laughs> Would you put Samson in the heroes of faith if you were really honest? But God does. God wanted Samson mentioned. He wanted his name added to that list. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says this, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, whose weakness was turned to strength. Samson, when he came to the end of himself, truly discovered what it meant to be strong. Because God was there, in that unlikely place, that horrible place. But God was there, 
ready to meet him when he was ready to come to God. So whether you've been challenged through this series because it's spoken to you because you've drifted away from God and you have been leaning in your own strength, you've been pushing God away, or whether this series has has spoken to you because you feel weak because of past failures, the sin that's robbed you of your relationship with God, or whether you're feeling weak because you've lost sight of who you are in Christ, then God wants you to hear this today as we draw all these thoughts to a close. God has not given up on you. God doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on his purposes that he has for you. He sees that faith, however small a glimmer it might be, and it was for Samson in that moment, but that faith was there. And he longs for you. To, he longs to turn your weakness, your struggles, into strength as you return to him. Shall we pray and bring some of these things to God? Perhaps this morning you need, to, you need to hear those words that God is there. God is in that unlikely place. He's there in, in your weakness, in your struggles, and longs to meet you there. Perhaps you need to be reminded that God hasn't given up on you. He won't give up on his purposes for your life. Seize your faith. Father, we recognize that you long for us to come to you in our weakness, to recognize that we have nothing to bring nothing to offer you. You want us to be in that place where we say you are our everything. You are all we need. We want to surrender ourselves to you this morning. We want to thank you for the cross. Thank you that at the cross, Jesus, you dealt with our sin, our guilt and our shame that you invite us to be in relationship with you, to live for you. And Lord Jesus, today, we pray that we would be those who follow you, who keep our eyes fixed on you, that live for your glory. Fill us, we pray, with your spirit that we might live lives that are honouring to you, glorifying to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to finish our whole sermon series with a, um, with a hymn that you'll know well. And the words are just perfect. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Nought be all else to me, save that thou art. If uh, Samson had said those words... Be thou my vision. If he'd kept his eyes on God, well, maybe it would have been a very different story. What a call we have to keep God, our, our vision, keep our eyes fixed on him 
and he be everything that we need. Thank you, David. church <laughs> worshiping him high king of heaven my victory is won do you know that today that the victory is won in jesus uh please take your seats what a sermon series we've had thank you to Kay for bringing god's word to us this morning a real challenge hasn't it and as you reflect on that i wonder what stood out to you over the last five weeks what has the lord been saying to you we've heard this morning that god is faithful he doesn't give up on you. He meets you in your weakness. But there was some challenge as well as encouragement, wasn't there? What do you need to lay down today? What do you need to put aside? The series has been about the strong becoming weak, but we've discovered that the weak become strong. And maybe your prayer is like Samson's this morning, where he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. 
Oh God, please strengthen me just once more. If you're in need of his strength this morning, may you know uh, the answer to that prayer. And uh, a closing prayer for each of us, a prayer for strength, uh, right out of the words of scripture as we finish this morning. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. May you be strengthened, may you be filled and encouraged this morning. God bless you and uh, have a great week. Amen.